The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. But it's not turning. Oh, there it is. Did that stress you out, Kate? Just a little. Okay. Well, there's a lot of people who show up for this. Yes. Uh, And we're live. It is Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021, 5.02 p.m. Eastern Time, 3.02 p.m. Mountain Time in Santa Fe, uh, and venue of the monologue, the surprise monologue. I do? Yeah. You should tell us about the harrowing decisions that you had to make today. Which ones were those? Around, Around certain beasts. Oh. Yes, it came to be mid-afternoon, and I'm afraid I did not have a beast of the day. And that was an upsetting experience for me, because usually over the course of the first few hours of the day, the beast of the day simply presents itself, and I tweet the beast of the day, and I feel like my debt to the Twitter community is satisfied. But today the beast of the day did not present him or herself. And so I put the question to the internet community. I asked for nominations for the beast of the day. And I have to say, I got an extraordinary list of uh, options for the beast of the day. Um, most Many people, of <laughs> course, ignored the fact that the beast of the day is never a domestic dog or cat. I love dogs. Uh, I like cats. Legs is very confused. Legs, um, do you want to ask a question? <laughs> no, <laughs> But I, you know, they're just against the rules. So I couldn't tweet any of the uh, uh, proposed beasts. Um, uh, however, uh, uh, a number of other people played by the rules and suggested a slew of beasts who are going to populate the beast of the day for a week to come. Thanks to everybody who submitted ashalotls and uh, baby crocodile hatchlings, which are today's beast of the day in Cambodia. Uh, So uh, if you have a beast of the day that you have been hankering to get on the feed, uh, you know, just stick it on that thread. And I'm going to be drawing on this for a long time to come. We are not allowed to have fun anymore. Uh, uh, but we are allowed to have Allegra Love back who, um, you know, was on the show once before and uh, things haven't been getting better along the border where she works as an immigration attorney. And so um, welcome back to the show. I wish it were under better circumstances. Hello. Hi, Lex. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, the beast of the day, just FYI, is, is a charming thing that every day Ben tweets a picture of a beast that someone nominates uh, to be beast of the day. And it can't be a dog or a cat. And that's the only rule, pretty much. And Don't do every day? Well, it's just a tweet, Legs. It's just like, it's just like a No, this, mean... whole, this whole thing happens every day. This show? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. 
Well, this oh thing God. happens five days a week, but the beer There's literally day... nothing that I can do every day. Nothing. <laughs> sometimes I forget to eat. immigration detainees. Yeah, that's true. But like, there's really, oh, I sometimes even forget to eat some days. So I can't believe you do this every single day. <laughs> you know, the, the more amazing thing is that there are people who show up in the audience every single day. You know, like for us, there's vanity involved in this. Like we get to talk to each other and hang out. But there are people who actually show up to watch this, which is mind boggling. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, anyways, Legs, it's great to have you back. Um, I am so glad that last night John exclaimed from his chair, approximately six feet from me, and I was in the bed that because our apartment is a tiny, tiny, tiny matchbox um, said, yes, it's here. And I said, what? I said, Allegra's newsletter. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting to hear what she has to say about the Haitian refugees. So that's, that's the way people react to the beast of the day. But, yes. <laughs> you know, yes, the beast of the day is here. Yeah. So anyways, tell us, tell us about why you wrote a newsletter and why John was waiting for it and what you said. Okay. Um, like you mentioned, I write a newsletter. Um, so just to give like those who I don't know, which is probably everyone besides Ben and Kate on this, um, I don't know. What do you even call it? Like, I don't know. On There's not website? like a good, it's like, like a web <laughs> webinar. Like, I don't we know. Call it a salon. Okay. In this salon, my name's Allegra Love. <laughs> Kate calls me Legs because that's my nickname and you're welcome to call me that too. The, the only reason I changed it to Allegra late in life was because like my last name's Love and I became a lawyer and being like, please the court, like Legs Love for the respondent sounded too much like, like, um, stripper. <laughs> so no no shade on strippers just like i'm not one and so um i changed it to a legger but you're welcome to call me legs too um i've been an immigration lawyer for quite some time uh about 10 years and i ran until recently a nonprofit here in like the whole state of new mexico and west texas to bring free immigration services to you know, immigrants and refugees. And that was like one aspect of my career administering a nonprofit, but like my real passion and excitement for like professional stuff and my job is working on the border with um, asylum seekers and like really trying to figure out a couple things, like how to make that whole process and that whole environment safer and more humane. Um, and then also just basically how to abolish the practice of immigration detention of anyone in anyone in the United States. It's a, it's a horribly failed industry policy. There's nothing, it, it provides nothing to us, but an enormous waste of our tax dollars and an enormous amount of human suffering. So that's what I do for a living. I got this big fellowship where I'm allowed to do whatever I want. And so uh, I'm working like as a mercenary on a lot of different projects right now. Anyway, so when How some- does one get such a fellowship? I, a, I, I would like a fellowship where I get- to A foundation calls you and says, we are giving you this fellowship. I mean, this foundation rules. And they were like, 
as you're leaving your position as the ED of a nonprofit, like we want to invest a little bit in your brain and your courage and give you some time to rest. And we're just going to fund you for a while so you can make whatever choices you want in terms of reading, writing, working on projects, learning things, like stuff like that. Um, awesome. So yeah, great. no, it's totally wonderful. It's a foundation called the Lannan Foundation. They're based here in Santa Fe, but they actually support all kinds of activists nationally um, who work on issues of abolition and social justice the way that I do. I call it my anti-capitalist scholarship. And I am, <laughs> and like, I recognize like that this is something that nobody gets and that I deserve it, but so do about a hundred million other people working in this world right now. And so I feel incredibly grateful. Um, anyway, um, yeah. So when your project is wondering and thinking and working and striving and plotting to make the border a safer place for people to be, um, when an event like uh, what's going on in Del Rio, Texas right now happens, it obviously is like really horrible. Um, and part of uh, what, what this newsletter was talking about yesterday is just like, how, what frustrates me during these moments, and it's been happening in cycles over the course of my career, is let's say like a photo emerges or a meme emerges or, you know, like the, um, like kids in cages or a picture of like a person being whipped by horseback by a, a border patrol agent. And, and like we all collectively um, say, Oh no, say, oh, we're no. not going to allow this. And, this is too much. Then, yeah, no. And it's horrible. And then all of a sudden there's like this frenzy of desire for understanding and there's all this coverage and <sighs> You start to like, like, you just want to say to the world, like, okay, everyone take a deep breath and like sit for an hour and let's talk about some fundamentals of what is going on here. Because in those chaotic moments, the government, like, like my position here when I'm looking at what the government, the government's lying to people about what they can and cannot do in these spaces and what is legal and what is illegal to, to justify like what, um, so we're where, seeing happen in plain sight. And I just, so like I, I, wrote, I wrote a newsletter to try and say like, here's some things you really, really need to understand about this situation so that you can do your own analysis of what you read in the media and what the government is saying because they're not telling the truth about this situation or more like they're dis, it's disinformation and like misinformation. So what okay. are those things? What are the basics that you need to know in order to uh, uh, process the news that, about this? Situation? So okay. before she gets to that, I'm going to read kind of the, the 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 quick facts that you gave in the newsletter. Legs, yeah, that's about, fine. About the situation. And then you can go to like like the, the five points that you go, lay out. I have out. a sixth one because I've okay. been more reading and being like, what the fuck? There's a sixth one okay. that I need okay. to address. So to for those that are not familiar about what's, what Legs is kind of talking about right now and what's going on is that there are, in the last few weeks, about twelve to 14,000 people, um, some individuals and some families, arrived at the U.S. border at Del Rio, Texas. Um, a lot of those people, but not all, were Haitian, and they're Central and South American, too. And 
where the Haitians are concerned, news sources are basically pointing out that a lot of them are not actually coming directly from Haiti, but are actually coming to Haiti from other points in South America, where they migrated after their economic issues and the earthquake in Haiti in 2010. I, was it 2010? I can't remember. Um, and basically then left like Argentina and Chile because the it was such a racist, they were being kind of, there was apparently so much racism there and they were being discriminated against. And so made their way across like a great swath of swampland and jungle that had no like roads through it basically um, up to the US border. There's no food or water, health services all the way, like all the way there anyways. Um, now that they've arrived at this border, there have been pictures of people trying to go across the Rio Grande and uh, the Border Patrol on horseback uh, whipping, uh, appearing to whip. In fact, maybe they are just reins, but in a couple of the pictures, it looks like it looks like like they're wearing a, a cowboy hat and they have their Border Patrol and they're on this horse. And there's this like poor, like like black, like Haitian, I, I'm assuming Haitian refugee, like reaching up and being kind of like the reins are whipping around someone put a link to that in like the chat if you could i know that this has been going on looking like it's like whipping this like this this migrant and kind of um there are you can just kind of see all of the the men on horseback and these people carrying all of their belongings and garbage bags and trying to ford this like chest high water and so it is just like a very very poignant image and it went viral yesterday and there has now been as like legs is talking about like a huge amount of kind of worlds not quite as much as the trump like kind of babies and cages thing but like a huge outpouring of concern and uh legs writes this newsletter and so she identified these kind of things that like things that you wanted to correct the record about that were like the five biggest things that you wanted to correct the record about. So go ahead and take it from there. Okay. So the first thing I want to correct the record about, because I've been hearing the government say it and it's in the media is that this is a surprise <laughs> and that like all of a sudden, this is like a sudden crisis surge on the southern border that requires like an urgent, violent reaction that couldn't have possibly been prepared for. That is wrong. This is the result of like two to 200 years of failed policy on the U.S. government. Anyone I work with, any immigration advocate, any immigration reporter could have told you that something like this was going to happen. The government knew something like this was going to happen. It's all been forecasted. But because of their violent response and because of their inhumane response, they need the public to believe that this was Un, an unbelievable surprise that they couldn't have possibly prepared for. They have been using deterrent strategies as the numbers of families and individuals seeking immigration has been going like this for the last seven years or so since 2014. They've been also ramping up their deep, their like um, deterrent strategies, right? And it's not working. And the more vicious the deterrent strategies get, the more the more crisis-like the situations are when a mass group of people still want to come to the border and the violent ways and the, the ways that we inflict suffering to try to make them not come, they, it sort of reaches this point where we start to see what's happening on the border right now. 
we have known that this group of migrants has been heading for the border for months and months and months. And this was absolutely predictable, but the government needs you to think so they can keep your vote and we don't call them criminals <laughs> that this was all a huge surprise. It wasn't. Okay. That's the first point. The mm -hmm. second point is, um, and this is like, this is something that people need you to believe in our government in all kinds of immigration enforcement. They need you to believe that the people who are camped out in Del Rio right now did something illegal. I mean, they 100% did not. U.S. asylum law is like really, really, really clear. There's only one way to ask for asylum, which is to come directly to the place you're asking for asylum, stick your two feet inside the territory, ask for asylum. And these people aren't even trying to like infiltrate the country. They are literally like sitting their asses on the banks, the Northern bank of the Rio Grande and being like, I need to do this. Now there's this rumor in immigration law that you're, sp you're supposed to line up at the ports of entry. You can do that generally. That's one way to ask for asylum, but going between ports and waiting till you encounter an agent and asking for asylum there, that way is a complete it's completely sanctioned by law it is a completely legal way to do it right and but the, the craziest thing about what's happening now is the ports of entry have been closed to asylum seekers since march of 2020 under this um, public health order called title 42 and so there is no way for an asylum seeker to line up at a port of entry and ask for um political asylum. The only way you could possibly do it is to do exactly what these people did, which is cross the desert between ports of entry, cross the Rio and, and ask for it there. So this idea that like, that you'll see just like everywhere, that this is irregular, that this is illegal, that this is what happens to people when they break to law, that is just false. And, you know, the, the, um, the Biden administration's position is do not come. But you can't say like they have people have an international right to seek asylum. And just because you tell someone not to come because it's politically horrible and inconvenient for people to come at the moment is not a legal mandate. Just because Ali Mallorca stands up and says, do not come. And Kamala Harris says, please do not come. That doesn't actually create any sort of like legal. like legal framework. Yeah. No, no, of course not. It's a not. request. But yeah. but it's not illegal. Okay, so that's the first point. The second point is that like we don't have the resources to process this many people. Okay. So I need us all to remember like what was probably like an eternity in the news cycle, but was actually only several weeks ago when you know, we had to endure pictures of seeing just like people falling off of planes on runways in Kabul or, you know, babies and families just like in desperation in airports in Afghanistan and just being like, like the, the outcry of the world that was just like, we have a moral duty to all these refugees to help. And like saying to the Biden administration, like you have to help evacuate people out. We had this like big awakening to understanding that helping refugees is something that you have to do even when it's difficult and it's inconvenient. And like, you could like Google like 
I literally Google like moral obligation and like every major news outlet across the globe was just talking about how we had moral obligations to help refugees under our like the promises we made under like UN protocols after World War II, right? Well, that was all well and good, except, and, and, and because of it, and because of all that pressure, we settled something like 60 to 90 Afghan refugees pretty peacefully and easily in the last couple of weeks in the United States and are like very, very um, sort of in like an orderly way, helping them like calmly and with their health and safety in mind, get through the process and help figure out how to like resettle them. All of this is possible, especially when you're looking at like a much smaller number of people in Del Rio, like it's like 14 or 15,000 people. In my newsletter, I added this fact, and this might get a little confusing, but I'm sure this, this crowd's really bright, so hang in here. We have all these corporate contracts with private detention facilities where we pay for beds no matter how many people are detained there. And detention numbers are really low now. We're paying for 20,000 unused beds right now in ICE detention facilities run by corporate prisons. And I'm not saying we should be sticking Haitians in those prisons, but if we're like, you know, spending like truly like millions of dollars a night paying for these correctional contractors to have empty beds then like people saying like we can't possibly figure out how to like detain people peacefully in like healthy settings and like safe settings in del rio while we figure out how to process them it's just bullshit like yeah and, yeah so okay Sorry. so just to sum up so point one was the people people haven't done anything illegal to like to like when they've come to Del Rio in like trying to seek asylum to and like they had no other way to do this really or few ways to other ways to do this because of the coronavirus and the closed ports. Um, and two, uh, that basically that we absolutely do have the resources to process like 14 to 15,000 refugees um, if we if like we that we just do. So what is your so what about like what about like what I'm hearing about like putting them on flights back to Haiti or sending them back. To okay. Haiti. So that's like the, so the other, the, there's like a couple more myths I want to debug. Like Haiti is not a safe place to send people. It's not, we said we actually designated Haiti as a um, TPS country in May and then re-extended the TPS designation TPS. five weeks ago. Temporary protective status. It's it's a status that we actually don't use that often where we say it's simply too dangerous to deport people to this country. And even for people who have absolutely no relief from removal in the United States, we're still not gonna deport them because it's too dangerous. And in that designation five weeks ago, and I'm looking this up in the newsletter I wrote, the, the Department of Homeland Security said, Haiti's grappling with a deteriorating political crisis, violence, and a staggering increase in human rights abuses. And they stopped all deportations to Haiti until Sunday, when abruptly, when images started emerging of these camps, they were like, we're just gonna start like hauling people to Haiti on deportation flights as fast as we possibly can. Why are they doing it as fast as they possibly can? Excellent question, Legs, and I'll tell you that answer. <laughs> because it's illegal.
illegal. And last week, a federal judge said that the whole Title 42 structure was illegal, especially as it pertains to families, and that the Biden administration had to stop summarily expelling people in mass from the U.S. border who were seeking humanitarian protection. But they stayed the injunction for two weeks. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe to give the Biden administration a chance to appeal. But they have two weeks to keep doing this before they're enjoined from doing it because a federal judge has said this is absolutely fucking illegal. And guess who else chimed in on that point this week, yesterday? The UN High Commission of Refugees. Like, it is absolutely illegal to expel people who are seeking protection for their humanitarian reasons to countries under a public health order. It's called Refoulement. And the whole point of asylum is the asylum systems and the refugee systems is to avoid refouling people to the countries where they might be killed without due process. And you absolutely cannot do it because of a pretextual public health order that our former president used and put in place to try and gain control of the border under the pretext of a, a health issue for a disease that he barely even acknowledged existed, not a disease, a virus. So, okay. so I'm gonna sum up the 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 myths you have debunked for us so far. You have <laughs> so we knew I'm talking so much. Yeah, well, no, it's really great. It's also I'm a huge fan of like where did you get that fact? And like you're a lawyer, and I mean that's kind of I mean. Anyways, I love that you are like guess who said this? A federal judge. Guess who said this? The UN Commissioner of Refugees. Like, this is very helpful. It's like, it's not just like, I love you, Legs. It's not just Legs having a fever dream, like, about, like, where the state of the that law That was is. yesterday with Maggie. I know. that. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, anyways, um, but to, 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 like, to run through this, they knew that they were coming. This is not a surprise. That was, like, your first kind of point. Then it's like, they're not doing anything illegal. There are completely about, like, they are going through the exact procedures you need to go to to get asylum in the United States and under international law and everything else. Uh, three, that we do have the like we do have the resources to process and take care of these people um, and to like figure out how to like what to do with them at least for the for a period of time. And then basically like Haiti's not safe. We can't just send them back to Haiti, which is like not a very safe place for them to go at the moment. And that you can't legally expel them. And the reason that they're trying to do it so quickly is so they can get away with it in the two weeks that they have a stay on the injunction before they basically get called out under international law uh, or they're already got called out by international law. US. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. All right, so point four. Yeah, what is so well, that? This was is sick. actually this is point the six. One. And this is the one that, like, is the is for me maybe like the biggest piece of learning I've had in my entire like ten year career as a border lawyer. Deterrent strategies work. They want you to believe I, that's not the truth. This is the lie. The lie. Yeah, is, I was like, you have to like. I'm like, you have to like. <laughs> sorry, you said sorry. that, and I was like, you said that so passionately so, that I was like. Wait, they this do? is the lie. <laughs> this is the lie. Deterrence works. They, the government, and basically, like, like this has been going on. I mean, as long as I have been alive, so like forty years, all the presidents, like, have been saying, if we create enough pain 
torture, suffering, if we turn people back at sea, if we interdict them, if we take their children from them, if we force them to cross through a deadly furnace of a desert in the middle of the summer where you are literally walking over migrant bones, if you um, send them back to Mexico, if you put them on planes and make them cross through Mexico again, if you make them cross the Darien Gap, which is like the worst migration in the world, like that that will stop people from coming. And it's this enormous underestimation of what causes migrants to move. And it's a deadly underestimation because you think by being cruel, you're gonna stop someone who has no other choices. You are forcing them to, into extraordinarily dangerous situations, which is what we're seeing in Del Rio right now. Is there like, let's close off every possible way for people to come to the United States and ask for help, but they're underestimating how horrible the situation is and they're forcing human bodies to do like incredible migrations and put their, their like children and their own bodies through incredible things just to do the chance. I have tried, I've worked on migrant caravans. I've worked all across Mexico trying to convince migrants do not come to the United States. They're going to try and hurt you. They're going to take your kids from you. They will have no respect for your body. Your body could, you could die in prison. And there's just, and people are like, I, like, what else do you want me to do? I, this is like, this is what I'm going to do. And so when our policies underestimate that human spirit and think we can break it, we end up doing like outrageously like unbelievable and inhumane things to their actual like physical bodies to try and do it. And so we need a new, I mean, we need a new plan. Times are changing, right? Like we have seen that this, there's just like an unstoppable force of family migration coming up from the South over the last decade. We also know that climate change is coming. We also know that like when people can't drink clean water, when their houses underwater, when their communities are on fire, when they can't grow a crop, they're going to have to move. And short of executing them, as they try and enter the country, there's no, there's like literally nothing else that you can do. I mean, Jacob, I just saw that Guantanamo Bay thing myself on my feed. It's it's outrageous. Is um, that the, anyway, sorry. I'm no, like looking at the feed too. No, so, no, there's a lot. Um, so, so, I mean, that's my final point is like, we keep pushing this policies and, and like, like the Biden administration has absolutely just taken up Trump's um, it's like, they're just carrying Trump's football towards this end zone when they said they weren't going to, but like, that, like, like that's what's going on. Like, like we're just like, this hasn't worked. It did not work under Clinton. It did not work under Obama. It did not work under Trump. And we're just like, let's keep trying this when we need an actually much more humane approach that might actually end up costing our country less and actually bringing in some refugee populations that can actually help parts of our country thrive. You know, like our economy needs workers. It's also dumb. And this like strategy of pain it's just, it's not working and we can do better. And, but we need to start like talking about these myths that we're choosing the pain strategy because of. So I have a million questions here, but I'm going to start with um, this one. Why do you think the rhetoric about the Afghans is so different from 
the rhetoric about Haitians, about Guatemalans, about Salvadorans. Uh, on the one hand, you have uh, a group of people that, you know, large numbers of people trip over themselves to say, hey, we owe it to them, to even people who didn't uh, work for the U.S. military, right? Uh, even people we didn't specifically incur a specific debt to developed a reliance interest on U.S. policy and U.S. goodwill because the Taliban are super bad people and they kill women and girls and, you know, slavery and all that stuff. And so we say, hey, um, you know, there's a relationship between our policy and your plight. If we're going to pull out and withdraw protection, there's a certain amount we owe. And there, there are dissenters from that view, obviously, but it's, it's a relatively broad political coalition that buys that. You apply the same logic in the Northern Triangle countries where, uh, you know, this is a long historic relationship between U.S. policy and, and people. And all of a sudden, this same sense of uh, empathy goes away. Um, and I'm curious why you think people react so differently to Afghans who uh, want to come here as refugees than to Haitians or Northern Triangle uh, uh, citizens. Well, I mean, I, this isn't my area of expertise, but I, like, just as someone who had to watch the Afghan evacuation, it was horrible. It was embarrassing. It was like, I, I, I was... I was 20 when 9-11 happened and I've been party to a 20 year war that's failed and like, you know, thousands and thousands of lives lost and billions and trillions of American dollars spent only to see it result in that is embarrassing and shameful and disgraceful. And I feel like the easiest way to soothe some of that bad feeling and that dissonance inside of me is to be like, holy shit, we got to help the refugees. I mean, and, and I was like, I was not, I did not participate in protesting the Afghanistan war after like the first year. And so of course, like, like, so then all of a sudden this war that I'd been largely ignoring and this violence that I had, but my, 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 like it was in my face and I was like, oh my God, but like, what can we do right now? Suddenly I'm re-engaged and there's nothing I can do about the last 20 years. But what I can do is freak out about all the people who are trying to get evacuated, which is why it, like it, we're doing it because it feels good to us, you know, to soothe that tension of having to witness like that failed war. That's, I mean, that's what I think. I don't know. Um, and. I don't know that we're as connected with the history and the imperialism and and the devastation that American actions have had in Central South America and the Caribbean. Like it's all there. Like I'm sure there's people who know a ton about it in who are watching right now, but and, and like there's article after article and I've studied a lot of it in the Northern Triangle, because the majority of my clients come from the Northern Triangle, but I just don't think Americans are as connected right now than we, as we are to like the 20 year war we just fought and the, and just like the, the, the visceral devastation that's occurring because of it. So you just kind of think that like, sorry, Ben, go ahead. Also racism. 
Although I guess Afghans. Yeah, like, no, that that's an overdetermined variable. Yes, yeah, it is because they're also brown. Have a lot of hostility to, towards Muslim uh, Americans. To, Muslims. To, well, and specifically, you know, brown to ones. The, to the extent that we we distinguish, uh, I think there's a, a a lot of racist sentiment of, uh, toward, you know, sort of Pashtun. Um, and Iranian or or Dari speaking Afghans. I mean, people don't know this group of people, but to the extent that they are aware of this, there's a lot of prejudice associated with, uh, uh, you know, uh, with uh, Muslims from this particular region. So I I, I want like I basically have a. Uh, you know, I have a, a lot of time for the idea that we should admit a lot of refugees. And I, I, it just seems to me to be something that is, shouldn't be an especially controversial uh, thing. And historically actually hasn't been uh, until relatively recently. Um, but uh, I do think when you're talking about the southern border in particular, there's this question of, uh, and I'm just going to state it bluntly and somewhat crudely, if we listen to people like you, we let in everybody who crosses the border. What's the limiting principle? And, um, and I think a lot of people get really hung up on that point. And so you say to me, I think the, the answer to my earlier question is, you can titrate the number of Afghans you admit because mm -hmm. you have to fly That's them right. here, but you can't titrate the number of Northern Triangle people who can walk across Mexico or the, the length of Mexico. Like Mexico can titrate that to the extent that it has the capability to, but ultimately once you say uh, you're gonna adopt the same posture toward Northern Triangle uh, migrants, as you do to Afghan migrants, there's a floodgates issue. And right, I'm, and I'm just sort of interested to your your sense if we put you in charge of immigration policy or in border policy, um, how quickly would we be overwhelmed with numbers that the the politics of this country simply won't tolerate? Well. I mean, so everyone asks me this all the time, like, okay, if you were in charge, what would you do? And I think, like, the, the really important, like, like w way to start talking about this is the answer is, like, I don't really know, okay? Because, or, like, I don't know exactly how to address the floodgate issue because... It's kind of like when you talk about abolition and like in, in, in the criminal justice system, our framework is so tightly wound around um, these ideas of scarcity and these ideas of control of other people's bodies that we lack the imagination in any parts of our like discussion or vocabulary to think beyond it. And part of what I've always said in these situations is like, I don't know but we have to unwind so much of our like presumptions about this situation before we can bring all the smart people to the table to start talking about it, right? Like, and the number one thing to start that discussion is to say like, 
these people are not criminals. There's no moral element to migration that people move. And that is, that is like a functionally like amoral thing. And that punishing them for that movement or controlling their body because of that movement is not an option. And, and, and like I, that, that freaks people out, right? Because you're essentially saying open borders and you're essentially bringing up exactly what you said, which is the whole floodgate argument, which is like the alpha and omega of all of our refugee policy is this idea that if we don't hurt people, everyone on planet earth is going to want to come to the United States and that's untenable. Well, first of all, not everyone wants to come to the United States. Like I, home is a real concept. Like, I don't want to leave my home. I hate it here sometimes, but I also like, it's the first day of fall in New Mexico and I love it here so much. And like the thought that I could never see this again makes me like, it would break my heart. Like I, my life would be empty. I just don't, like, I don't, like home is a really, really important and powerful thing. So part of what we need to think about is how to help people stay in the places they are. This is often called like the root causes um the root causes solution is like address making people's homes better so that they can stay there. That's you know, like make, like maybe if you want to talk about the number one reason to take climate change seriously and act like it's the fucking imminent disaster that it is, is so that people can stay in their homes, right? People yeah. want to stay there. Yeah. And, and I mean, the second thing is, is like, we, we, there's, I mean, why do we assume that a lot of people coming and being processed is a disaster necessarily? There's ways that we can structure border policy where people can come and go, that they can, like where we can do job trainings. You know what would help if like, if we gave people permission to work this the moment they got here? This is such an important point. If like, you just let people come and leave easily, if you made it easy to show up and leave you'd be surprised how yeah. many people came seasonally. Well, like, yeah. like, like one of the reason there's 8 million or so undocumented Mexicans in the country right now isn't because Mexicans like being undocumented. It's because when in 1996, when Ira Ira, that was the law that made the border like impossibly imporous. Like it, all of a sudden people had to be like, I have to choose which side of the border I wanted to be on when it used to be, I could come and go and send money. And, you know, they signed NAFTA and the economies, the corn economy is collapsing in Mexico. And so like, I guess I'm going to choose to stay in the United States because that's where I can use money. That's where I can make money. And so like, we created the conditions with which we had to have undocumented immigrants in this country and then immediately turned around and started criminalizing those same people who were like, I would, I never wanted to do it this way. And now you're going to like <laughs> throw them into jails and steal them from their families and force them into really, really horrendous situations. I also want to say that I just wanted to say this really quickly and I'm going to bring Jacob up on the screen um, to ask this question. Uh, he has a couple great ones. Um, but... I, I love this point, Ben, and, and Legs, I'm so glad that we got here because I think it is this, like, one thing of, like, this horror story of, like, where will it end? Will it just be flooded with Mexicans as if there's not, like, a finite population of them? And, like, as if the United States is running out of land. I don't know. Like, anyway, I, I just really do think that there is something fascinating about that. And I also think that um, 
can we can we also have like uh, like a moment for the fact that what would scare us about that situation besides the fact that it would help us because we are having a worker shortage as like as legs points out and there's so many economies that could be like helped by this is that we kind of think that we would have we'd run out of like they would take advantage of social like social services and resources and like they pay but, into them but Sorry. i was just going to say but they pay into them and so like this is one of the most fundamental this is one of the most fundamental ridiculousnesses of like of some of these of like work of like this art but come on legs you hear that argument all the time i know and it's but like it, apps it's like my grandma saying that like she paid for social security for her social security benefits herself by working when she was like a housewife and i'm right. like no i pay for your social security benefits right now <laughs> like this is how it works but, but like, when yeah. you like realize that like fundamentally you can't really point to how it would economically devastate our country i mean look at the mariel boat lift everyone thought that was going to devastate our country and then it just it, it, or like devastate the economy of Florida. It definitely did not. And so when when you can't point to any like historical or actual economic reason why this would be devastating, then you're like, so why are we so upset? Because racism, like that's it. Racism is the beginning and the end of all these arguments. And we use the economic thing as just like a, like a code word for just being like, we don't want people from south of our border coming and thriving in our country. Ah. I don't think whole I, I think there is more to it than racism. I do too. I think it's more I don't than wanna, just I don't want to Alice Jacobs yes. uh uh indefinitely. So let's get to his question uh first and then I will Nice to see uh, you again, Jacob. I, I will challenge the racism premise. Jacob, are you an immigration lawyer? <laughs> yes, I am. I can tell. Um. <laughs> <laughs> just the whole office space, uh no, like truly the bleak <laughs> office space, the sort of <laughs> the, the, the plant uh, like tie here too <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no i could tell here. from your questions <laughs> okay yeah i have two to three um which one should i start the remain in mexico the psg or the uh remain in mexico yeah okay so are, do you have any thoughts on the federal judge ruling that Biden had to uh, re-implement the Remain in Mexico program? Uh, the Supreme Court refused to enjoin it. And if I remember correctly, they had some uh, crazy wild uh, deadline to re-implement it. So, This is my like actually official thought on that judicial ruling. It's yaya. Yeah, yeah. Like it's total yaya. Yeah, yeah. And I mean that because for those who don't know what the Remain in Mexico program was, it was an enforcement strategy where like an asylum seeker would approach the US border and they would ask for permission to seek asylum and they would be dumped back in Mexico. And then they would get like a hearing date and then you'd approach the bridge on the day of your hearing. Like God knows what you're doing in Mexico, living in camps, living in the streets, getting kidnapped, getting extorted. And then like you're supposed to arrive at the port of entry. They put you in shackles and take you in a van to the nearest immigration court. You do your hearing, but it's not like the hearing. It's just like your first scheduling hearing. They put you back in shackles and dump you back in Mexico. They and but but like this is why the 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 this was a Trump era program that Biden like almost immediately canceled. But here's what's crazy about the judge mandating the Biden administration to start that program up. It was always a discretionary program. They only actually sub, like subjected seventy five thousand asylum seeking migrants to the program over, you know, um 
to a two-year period. So like the Trump administration was discretionarily deciding how and when they wanted to enforce this policy. And then the federal judge wheels around and says to the Biden administration, you have to do this. And like, how do you, t inf how do you mandate an enforcement policy that not only like was discretionary when Trump was doing it, but also they completely stopped using during the pandemic because they closed the ports of entry. The decision made no sense. And even the Biden administration is like, what are we supposed to do here? Also, it requires the co cooperation of Mexico. What if Mexico doesn't want to cooperate and take these migrants back? Would then the Biden administration be held in contempt because of Mexico's refusal to participate? You can't man. The Supreme Court can't tell Mexico what to do. I'm yeah, sorry. This, I'm just, no, no, no. This yeah. is my, <laughs> if my answer Jacob, doesn't make sense, it's because the order out? didn't make sense. Was it this bonkers? Yeah, it was absolutely bonkers. It's, okay. <laughs> I, I, I had to remain in Mexico case. So um, just absolutely. There's a, a thing called a master hearing, which is basically just the status hearing. Um, Allegra you know, mentioned it, but if I could go a little bit more in detail. A master hearing is kind of, they bring everybody to just one hearing. Um, in the before time, before the pandemic, you'd get like, I don't know, 40, 50 cases on the docket. Um, crazy amounts of people. And that's just a status hearing where the judge will go to everybody, okay, what what are you seeking in the United States? Okay, you want asylum? Okay, are you available for a trial date at this date? Okay, this is your trial date, then go home. Uh, you know, okay, non-LPR cancellation, go home, this is your trial date. So the problem with the Remain in Mexico program is there's no home. They, you know, they, they shock them, they bring them to the master hearing, you know, oh, okay, so you're asking for asylum? Okay, you can go back to, uh, you know, Mexico and wait two to three years for your next hearing date. Like. <laughs> wow, that's like, that's completely bonkers. Wow, okay, um, that's crazy. What's your second question, yeah. Jacob? I know you have a couple, but one more. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Right. So, uh, second question is it's just more of a technical question. Um, just you know, I know we keep talking about asylum for these uh, Haitian refugees. I'm just curious what the PSG would be or what a protected ground we're arguing because uh, PSG is Un the unpack most... those terms for for oh, yeah. viewers who don't know them. So, so real quickly, um, in order to qualify for asylum in the United States, you have to have a credible future fear of uh, persecution in your home country based on one of uh, five protected grounds, politics, race, religion, national uh, origin, or uh, the most nebulous particular social group, which is just a, a particular social group is kind of- A particular social group is the PSG. Yeah, PSG. Yeah. But it's a it's a it's uh, where all the litigation is happening right now <laughs> because it's poorly defined mm -hmm. yes got it and it needs to be defined with particularity which is where you have issues with something like women in el salvador uh where judges have been kind of squeamish about particularity and it has to uh there has to be nexus too that's like a separate prong is that your persecution has to be based on that protected ground and not just random persecution which is where you have the issues with those uh gangland cases okay so First of all, I probably spent, I do, I work in, I work in detention in West Texas and Southern New Mexico and Northern New Mexico. And there's four detention centers. I work in all of them and they detained so many Haitians this year. So I talked to a lot of people about their potential asylum claims. And there's a lot going on in Haiti that could potentially get, put you into um, a PSG or a political group. But 
What's really important about your question is that like what you're pointing out is that asylum is a deeply complicated, deeply fact-based inquiry, right? And so if the U.S. government is saying like, well, these people are not asylum seekers because we can't immediately find, we can't put like paint them with a broad brush of what like their PSG is or like political thing that gets them asylum. And like, you know, they're even saying in the news, like they're like CBP is sorting people by who has asylum claims and not. And you're like, asylum is just like it's an enormously complicated analysis that requires like counsel, a judge, enormous amount of evidence, like reading through like tons of precedent decisions. It depends which circuit you get sent to, which court you're sent to. Like it's an enormously complicated thing, which is why the government saying most of these people aren't asylum seekers. And we know that because like, as we were like lashing them with fucking horse reins, they mentioned that they like needed a job and that, and that categorically like, like excludes them from asylum. So like, guess what? Most asylum seekers also need jobs. And often they mention it when they are coming across the border and then the US government turns around and says they're not seeking asylum because they told me they came here to get a job and you're like, it can be both. I once lost an asylum claim partially because my client mentioned to a border patrol agent as he was crossing that he was going to go live with his grandma in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And they were like, see, he's migrating to be with his family and to like, and not because he was, he, you know, like being shot at by gangs when he was organizing against them in his neighborhood. But like, you cannot, while you're rapidly trying to break up a camp and put people on deportation flights and deal with like an out of control border patrol office, also simultaneously decide that people do or do not qualify for asylum. But isn't that, I think your, your point here is proving too much because you're, you're saying, hey, these are people who have enormously sympathetic situations they may or may not fit within the terms of asylum law, but we should be uh, sympathetic to and solicitous of their plight anyway. That's really an argument, as, as I hear it, for dealing with this problem outside of asylum law altogether. Well, look, remember we're talking specifically about one country when we talk about this, right? Like at the moment we are talking about Haiti, we are talking about a country that our that our nation designated far too dangerous to deport people to five weeks ago. So the analysis might be different if you're talking about Mexicans. It might be different if you're talking about Colombians. Like, but at the moment, yes, we do need a mechanism to protect Haitians beyond asylum because they're not all going to fit, fit into asylum. Asylum is not the best tool. It was invented after the Holocaust as a way to sort of prevent what had happened when we all, when, when like the moral failure to protect people who needed protection from the state, like everyone was like, no, we don't want to do it. And there was no legal fail safe to say you had to do it. So but your, just ba your basic view to which I'm not wholly unsympathetic is that any Haitian who asks to in the given the current craziness in Haiti both politically and with you know the earthquake that just happened any Haitian who shows up at a US port of entry or for that matter on on a shore in uh, in the Gulf Coast we should give uh, uh, by one means or another we should allow to uh, to emigrate here on at least a temporary basis. Um, yeah, I think so. But also like there's a lot between that and 
just immediately putting them on planes and brutally just deporting them to a place where there's no plan for how to keep them safe. So like, yes, I think like if those are the two options and I'm choosing the one you just laid out, but yes. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Richard, final question. Nice to see you. Thank you for the dogs. Oh, you have to unmute yourself. Hold on. I got it. No, I don't. Oh, no. Can you do it? No. I can't do anything. I know. Um, I am imp I am disempowered oh, no. here. Okay. Uh, Richard, just uh, 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 refresh your screen. Type your question. Or You typed it already. I'll ask it. I'm going <laughs> to... I will... Um, he asks, I don't understand what the Biden administration is thinking about the politics of their current border policies. By doubling down on the policies of the former guy, they're going to drive cynicism and apathy on the left. Votes that they need. What am I missing? It's a bad idea. You're not missing anything. And also, <laughs> no matter what they do, Ted Cruz and like um, Abbott and Ron DeSantis and whoever else is going to say that they're just like opening the border to refugees, literally no matter what they do, the narrative from the right is going to be that they're, they have open borders. So if you're going to catch that flag from the right, why not do the right thing? Why not try <laughs> to experiment with what like a more humane response would be? Why, why not try and keep my vote? Right? Like, I'm so insulted by this government. Because they He's know like, that you're not going to vote for the right, Allegra. Like, they know that you're never going to vote for the right. You're I'm never going to lose. Well, you I might not show not up to vote. I'm going you to vote for Joe Biden if he doesn't improve this. Like, I regret my vote for him because of this situation. But you so, like, I'm, I'm not going to vote for a Democrat. And I know that, like, a lot of people won't agree with me. But, like, I, they have lost my vote. And I will, like, what, what's the difference between this? This is worse than Trump on the border right now. This is worse than, and I practiced for five, four years under the Trump administration. It's worse right now. And everyone told me you have to vote for this guy because everyone's life depends on it because we can't take another four years of Trump. And I'm getting years that are worse than Trump. So they have lost my vote. Yeah. And they need to hear that. They need to feel that. They need to feel that they are going to lose my vote. And I have to be sincere about that or else they are, they're like, correctly calculating that they need to play into the fears of people who are in the center. Well, I am for one, if we are a thousand or, or two, two thousand days into a lieu of fun, or I've lost track of days and what they mean, but whenever I'm looking forward to checking back and seeing where uh, we stand on this and if anything changes, because this is like, I've just been thinking about you in our conversation last time. And I learned so much the last time we talked and um, again, I have learned so much. I love your, your six myths. You should, if, <laughs> you don't use Twitter because it's always mocking I you do, in the green but room. But I don't really I know Twitter. this. I know. And so. I have a Twitter account, but I don't post things. But your Twitter. newsletter is brilliant, but you should, you should, uh, I, well, we'll talk about it later, but you, I it's a great. I'm not great. that into self-promotion. Okay. Well, we'll work it out. Um, nice love. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Thank you for fighting the hard fight. Uh, this was a really great hour, even though it was a little depressing. It felt like refreshing to kind of like, I don't know, have have a, no. a sense of what's happening. We what? have to have hope. I know. I know. We're alive. Yeah. Isn't that? I know. What, isn't that what James Baldwin said? How can we subscribe to your <laughs> newsletter? I put yeah. the link. Hold on. I put the. It's so y'all lower your expectations, everybody. 
but I took a drink <laughs> here. You're really and, not into self-promotion. You're like um, the opposite. But like, we if you will subscribe. Be, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, we have no idea who the guest is going to be, no. at least according to the calendar. Maybe Kate is going to play Where's the Lie. Um, see? She is. Um, uh, if she doesn't, maybe I will. Maybe Scott will. Yeah. Um, in any event, that'll be 22 hours and 59 minutes from now. And until then, Kate? <laughs> I love you, Legs. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, all the people typing and typing away. I hope you're being... <laughs> No, I hope they're... you have it. I hope you find something Legs, to be they're really just excited in your... about today. They're just in, they're not real. They're just in your computer. They're just like little people inside your computer. Hiding in the computer. <laughs> Hiding in the little, computer. Little, little, guys. little people. I, I can't even tell how you're making fun of me, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs>